0: Welcome to the Fairview Church podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. So this... Week First off, I want to welcome you if you are a guest. My name is Brant, and I serve as the pastor here, and so honored uh, that you are here with us this morning. Uh, And so this past week, I went to the hospital on Tuesday, and was with Shelly Bookout. And some of you know uh, Shelly. She's been a member of Fairview Church for quite a while, has served in our women's ministry in the past, and she had... Uh, a really difficult uh, past about month and a half with some different health situations. So the family called me and said, Hey, we think this is her last day, her final hours. And so I went down to Vanderbilt and I was thankful just to spend some time with her, with her family, was able to pray uh, with them kind of in these, these final moments. And so that was just such an impactful experience and uh, out of, that I went to meet my dad. He was down, uh, met me downtown for lunch, and so I was walking from Vanderbilt Hospital uh, over to this restaurant, and I had this experience of, I guess it's déjà vu, although in this case it was legitimate. Uh, I've, I've been in this place before. I've ever been there. Where like suddenly you find it, you're like, I know this place. I've been in this place. So I had that happen, and um, those of you who are new won't know this, but a little over a year ago, I uh, had a surgery to remove a cancer in my body. And so during that time I was in a wheelchair for a little while and my brother would push me around in the wheelchair. And that was, it was kind of this obscure part of the Vanderbilt campus that I was on. I was walking and all of a sudden I realized that's where this was. And I remember my brother pushing me around this area outside after my surgery, and. There was just this overwhelming sense of God's work, even in that moment. Again, I never would have put myself in that place. It was totally unintentional. Uh, And yet, the combination of that time with Shelley and kind of this, like Psalm 90 tells us, teach us to number our days and have this heart of wisdom. And then this experience of being back where I had been in this wheelchair It reminded me just of how dependent I had been on God at that time. Just remembering that. I mean, just total dependence on God, total trust in Him. That if He didn't provide for me, you know, it was, I wasn't going to be able to do it. And I remember just, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so I'm going to go back and it's not about, the old person's dead and it's living for Christ exclusively. And guess what happened? I lost a lot of that sense of dependence started trusting more and more myself. And so there was really almost a time warp of bringing me back in time of reminding how dependent I got on God I still am because I'm no less dependent on God than I was then. Right? I'm no more capable of providing for myself than I was at that time. The problem is just the way that I see the world, the way that I see myself. And so this life that Jesus calls us to this abundant life this life and life to the full it is a life of total surrender our vision statement here at favorite church is reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ that full surrender that complete dependence on him is this life and life abundant that we're called to what is it that keeps us from living with this sense of dependence with with living in this full surrender to Christ. So I think we're going to see that in our passage this morning in John chapter 7. And so now that you've had a little bit of rest for your knees, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's word. And we've got a bunch of verses, so you'll see why I gave you a little break at the top. Some, some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Yet look, he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. Can it be true that the authorities know he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. As he was teaching in the temple, Jesus cried out, you know me and you know where I am from. Yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. You don't know him. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Then they tried to seize him. Yet no one laid a hand on him. Because his hour had not yet come. However, many from the crowd believed in him and said, when the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things about him. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees sent servants to arrest him. Then Jesus said, I am only with you for a short time. Then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said to one another, where does he intend to go so we won't find him? He doesn't intend to go to the Jewish people dispersed among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? What is this remark he made? You will look for me and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When some from the crowd heard these words, they said, This truly is the prophet. Others said, This is the Messiah. But some said, Surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the Scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem, where David lived. So the crowd was divided because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him? The servants answered, no man ever spoke like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which doesn't know the law, is accursed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So as we consider what it is that keeps us from this life of dependence and surrender to God, I want us to consider two things. Uh, First of all, I want us to notice that there is a blindness of thinking that you see. Now, there's been this conversation unfolding all through John's gospel about the identity of Jesus. John tells us in chapter one who Jesus is, and yet there's this constant debate over his identity among the people. And so the question that is posed in this passage is, could this be the Messiah? We've seen the things that he's done. We've seen the miracles that he's done. Could this one be the Messiah? In response to this, we see in verse 27, but we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. Now, let me ask you a question. Is this true? It's not, right? And John knows that it's not. And he knows that we know that he's not. But he's building this out. Because clearly the scriptures tell us where the Messiah will come from. And that's what John's going to pick up uh, next. Surely the Messiah, in verse 41, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring? And from the town of Bethlehem, where David lived? Now, is that true? Yes. What do they think? Where do they think he came from? Jesus came from? Galilee, right? They think he came from Galilee, and in one sense, did he come from Galilee? Yes, he lived there, but was that where he was born? No, thank you. You guys are doing a great job this morning. So he is actually from Bethlehem in the fulfillment of the scriptures, but their assumption is that they know Jesus, that they know where he is from, and therefore he cannot be the Messiah. And this is the misunderstanding that Jesus is going to address in verse 28. As he was teaching in the temple, Jesus cried out, you know me and you know where I am from. Now let's pause there for just a moment. Do they really? No. No. Right, But they think that they do. They assume that they do. Yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. You don't know him. Do they think that they know him? Yes, they do. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. These are these assumptions. They are assuming that they know about Jesus and they are assuming that they know God. And yet Jesus is showing that neither one of those are true. This is a consistent uh, Confrontation that we see between Jesus and these members of this Judean leadership, the members of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jerusalem. And we see this conflict really pick up in chapter five. And so we'll remember as we're reading these words, what Jesus had said in chapter five, verse 37, the father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time and you haven't seen his form you don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them and yet they testify about me but you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. They pride themselves in knowing what? The scriptures, they pour over them, they study them and yet what Jesus is going to tell them is that they have this pride in knowing God and having this knowledge of the scriptures, and yet they don't actually know God. And again, this would have been the most uh, disrespectful at some level thing that Jesus could possibly say to these people, but he's addressing their heart. He's addressing their pride, that they think that they see everything. And yet what Jesus is saying is they don't. They don't actually know God, they have a one dimensional view of God. they view Him through the lens of the scriptures and particularly of their what interpretation of those scriptures and how specifically they see Jesus not meeting their expectations right that 's why they keep saying jesus can 't be the Messiah because he doesn 't fit with our understanding of The scriptures, and yet, is God a one dimensional God? Can anyone ever know everything about God? Absolutely not, right? He's beyond our comprehension at the fullest level. And so, this is where there is a danger for anyone of being convinced that we have all the answers or that we have God all figured out. This kind of pride and self-righteousness is what prevents us from actually seeing the fullness of God's provision of his direction, this expectation that he will work in our day, in our time, in our lives in real ways that we can encounter him and we can participate in our bodies at this time, in this community, in what he is doing There's a saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And you can't teach a prideful person who thinks they know it all anything. Have you ever, those of you with children or teachers, tried to teach your children something who they are already convinced they know it all? Right? I have, I won't mention names, but it has happened to me and it's impossible, right? It's an impossible task. And this is where we see with God, there is a pridefulness, a self-righteousness, a convention, being convinced that we have all of the answers that is actually blinding to us. And Jesus refers to members of this Judean leadership as blind guides. He says, you are blind guides. Is it good to have a blind guide? No, Right? That is a problem, and yet they 're blinded by their pride and their assurance that they know all of the answers, when in fact, they don't. Secondly, we see not only the blind blindness of what did that, what was the actual point? the blindness of thinking you see, uh, but secondly, the emptiness of thinking that you are full. so this chapter is taking place in the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It is also called Sukkot. And when I went to Israel in 2019, uh, we went right after Sukkot. And so in Sukkot you have all of these sukkas. And they are or they're called a booth, but they're kind of these well there's all different ways that people make them, uh, but it's kind of like a tent, let's just say. But it's exposed. And so you can see the stars through it. And they basically camped out for a week. This is what everybody does. And so in Jerusalem, if you live inside, you can just eat your meals out there, which is what uh, we did when we were there. But you have all of these people gathering. Why do they do this? Do they just want a week to camp out in October? No, they are remembering what took place when God's people were in the desert, in the wilderness, and the way that God provided for their needs. And in the past year, the people have experienced the harvest. And so they have seen God's provision of water, of of the sunlight, of everything that is necessary to provide the harvest that they have just taken in. And the provision of life that God has just given them is symbolized through water. And so this water that gives life Reminded them of the way that God provided water when they were in the desert. And this is what we see in Isaiah forty-eight twenty-one. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from the rock for them. He split the rock and water gushed out. So when we think about this, the way that God had provided water from a what? rock in the desert there is a water ceremony symbolizing this and so every day you have a priest who goes out from the temple to the Gihon spring and he takes his golden pitcher and he dips water out and there is a chanting uh, of Isaiah 12:3 with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation and then, and uh, by the way, this crowd of people uh, are carrying a Luvav and an Etrog. And there are these, these four different kinds of plants that you have. And so we have a picture here of the citrus uh, plant. And so this is all together. And they are waving this. Right, And so they're waving this and they are singing Psalm 113 through 118. And so you have this procession of waving and singing and praising. And this leads up to going back to the temple. And then the priest will ascend the stairs and he will pour out the water on to the altar. On the last day of the festival, the greatest day, he does this seven times. And it is this fullness of joy and fullness of provision. And this is what we see leading up to verse 37. On the last and most important day of the festival. So this day, the final day, they're doing this seven times. Jesus stood up and cried out. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow deep within him. If anyone is thirsty, he can come to me and drink and there will be these streams of living water. Now, this river or stream of living water is something that would have been familiar because in Ezekiel, we find this prophecy of this millennial temple, this future temple in Ezekiel 47 and in Zechariah 14. In both of these pictures uh, of the temple, there is a river that's flowing from the temple out both ways, right, to these two different bodies of water. Now, let me ask you, does that river exist at the temple in Jerusalem? It doesn't, right? It doesn't today, it didn't in that day. And yet, there is this this prophecy of this river coming from the temple. Now, Jesus, ultimately in this moment is drawing all of this to himself. He is the rock which water came from. He says that he, his body is the temple, right? And it is from him that there will be these, this river of water that ultimately will come out. And he says that this is the, verse 39, spirit. Those who believe in in Jesus are going to receive the spirit. So this river, this water coming from him, this source of life is the Holy Spirit. And the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And the reason the spirit had not yet been given is because what is the hour of his glory? What is he says, this is the hour of my glory. It is actually the, the cross, right? And what we see is this is when this all of these images are going to join together in Christ, right? All of these fragments are going to be brought up together in this one ultimate picture in Christ. And there is going to be uh, this moment. How was it with the rock in the desert that the water came out? Do you remember? It was struck, right? And when it was struck the water came out. As Jesus is on the cross, there is this moment when he is struck by a spear. And what happens? Water comes out. And this is this, this fulfillment that ultimately is going to lead to this happening from a holistic spiritual standpoint on Pentecost, right? Another festival to come, when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is going to come upon the body of Jesus, which is now the church, this group of people that are trusting in Jesus. The Spirit, the river, the water is going to come upon them, and they are going to be filled with this fullness. And and this is by the way, we're we're studying Acts in our D groups. And still not too late to join a D group. Would love To be a part of that, it's going to be so much fun to study through Acts. But when we see Acts, we see the way that the spirit is going to work within these living stones. So we see this temple that's made not out of stones, but out of what? People, (laughs) bodies, these living stones. And the spirit is going to flow through them to the world around. There's going to be the spirit leading them to act and to speak and to go out, right? And and this is ultimately where, where all of this is headed, is the Spirit of God filling and equipping the body of Christ to go out and accomplish the works. He says, greater things than I have done, you will do. And, and you begin to see these incredible works of the Spirit. And so all of this comes together, but in order to receive this, what do you have to be? If anyone is thirsty, what does it mean to be thirsty? You have to acknowledge your need, right? If you are convinced that you are full, you will not go to be filled and I think this is where we see these elements of the pride that's been taking place in this group of people that they see and understand everything that they there's a self-righteousness that's there that keeps them from experiencing their true need right their true dependence on Jesus and and this is this is at the core can, uh, there's a there's a, there's a saying you can't fill a full cup Right. If there's a cup that's that that's filled, you can't pull. And if you have people who believe, like we've seen with some of these religious leaders, who believe that they're full already, then they cannot be filled. And this is the pride that we see addressed in verse 45. The servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who asked them, "Why didn't you bring him?" The servants answered, "No man ever spoke like this." So what are they saying? He has authority. You guys don't have. <laughs> right? We're the servants. You sent us to go. They want, by the way, the Pharisees and Sadducees, we've already read in John, they want to do what to Jesus? Kill him, him. right? They're convinced he is not the Messiah. He does not fit their expectations. So he needs to die. And yet the servants go. And when they actually encounter Jesus, they go, nobody's ever spoken like this. Nobody's had this authority, right? We don't know. What all is going on? But we are not going ultimately to listen to you over him. Verse 47, then the Pharisees responded to them. Are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? Think about that. Who are the know-it-alls? Them, right? And if we haven't believed in him, then guess what? He's not legit and you therefore are Fools, you've been fooled. But this crowd, look at this, who doesn't, which doesn't know the law is accursed. And we know this from Jewish sources in the first century that this group of leaders totally looked down on these common people because they thought they were ignorant. They didn't actually know the law. Therefore, they couldn't keep the law. And so they are accursed. You see the pride here. You see the self-righteousness that's present We know, and if Jesus doesn't pass our test, then there's no way he's the Messiah. And all of these people are fools and accursed. The irony, of course, that John is showing us, when you read this chapter, who are the people who actually have a clue? Right? It's the servants. It's these lowly people. They're the ones who are going, I think he's the Messiah. (laughs) Like, he's done a lot of stuff. And if it takes more than this, I'm not quite sure... What it's going to take. I really, really think he might be. And it's like, no, you're idiots. But it's actually this servant group, this group that's seen as accursed and lowly that sees the light. And this is a reminder of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes Blessed are Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And we think about the Beatitudes, the people who are blessed, according to Jesus, it's the poor in spirit, it's the meek, it's the humble. It's those who, from the worldly standpoint, look lowly. These are the ones who are actually filled. Those who know they're hungry, those who know they're thirsty, those who have this humility, who acknowledge their need, they're the ones who are filled. The humble, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that you may be exalted or lifted up. This humility is essential. And this is something for us to understand that we must humble ourselves constantly. We must acknowledge we don't have it all. We don't have the resources. We don't have the strength. We don't have the wisdom on our own. We can't, right? That's full stop. You can't, I can't. And it is this understanding and this humility and this dependence on God that allows us to experience the filling and the provision that he provides through the spirit. We see not only do these streams of water flow into us through the spirit, but what else do they do? They flow. Out from us. The water of the spirit is not simply contained in our body. It is ultimately moved through our body. We are these conduits of the spirit. where We are filled up with the spirit in order to go and be an expression of the spirit. That the the water would flow out from us to the people and to the world around us. And this is where, again, once we think through what actually happens in the church, that there are these actions that are an expression of the Spirit leading and using these people as they give their bodies and they give their lives to this mission, to speaking the truth of Jesus, to serving those who are in need. Ultimately, of showing the fact that Jesus truly is King. And this is where I believe that we as a church must ask ourselves, is this the case? Are there these streams of living water that are flowing out from us? So the way the church engages with the world around us, right? The community around us. What does this look like? And there is a quadrant. And there is friend and this is the idea we simply exist to be friends with the community. So there's there's no concern about the behavior, the lifestyle, the beliefs of the people around us. We just exist to kind of welcome anyone and everyone without any confrontation. Then there is the fortress. What is a fortress? Right? It's something that you use to what? To shield yourself Right, so we are to shield ourselves from the world. We're going to kind of hide behind this protective barrier, so they don't get in. This side is the side of the quadrant. Is fight. So the purpose of the church and the people of God in a community and a culture is to what? Is to fight the culture, right? To go out and to tell everybody how terrible they are and to fight against all of their efforts and the fourth quadrant which is or i believe we're called to be is a force that we go into the culture into the communities with the spirit empowering us with the truth of god's word guiding and directing us that we might have these rivers flowing out of us that that people would see christ in us They would see the difference, right? They have to see us to see the difference. But they would see the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's what we see in Scripture. How do you you know the Spirit's at work? Well, you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Did I miss any? Okay, the song worked. Right? And it is this, that we're the hands and feet of Christ. And, And I think... We're gonna, you're gonna see a video in just a minute. This is why I'm so thankful for our 21 days of impact and the projects we did and, you know, having almost, uh, I think 38, uh, single moms and widows who we were able to do car care for and all these community acts, right? These are ways of being a force. Now, are we clear about our differences? Are we just friendly? Are we just there to be nice and help people? No, like Jesus is King. We really believe He's the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father through Him. And we hold on to that truth. We don't compromise in that way. But our role is this expression of the love of Christ, expression of the mercy of Christ. And the w- only way we're going to do this, can you, can we do this on our own power? Can we do a car clinic every week? <laughs> no. All the people who <laughs> are there are like, no right but the way that we're called to live our lives in this way is this pattern of receiving and releasing we're constantly receiving from god what we can then go out and release into the world paul says in ephesians 4 don't be drunk with wine how do you get drunk with wine you drink but be instead be filled with the spirit that word filled is continuing action continue being filled with the spirit we acknowledge our dependence i can't do it <laughs> right i can't break this i can't accomplish, i can't do this on my own i can't I, I can't overcome my failures and so i need to receive forgiveness god i'm asking you to forgive me for my sin where i failed but also, I can't, I can't work up the strength that I need. So God, I need to receive from you the provision, the power, the strength, the, the, the ability. And we receive, right? How often do we need to do this? Every day. We t- taking up your cross every day, in one sense, is acknowledging your own inability. It's dying to self-dependence. Every day, I have to take up my cross, and my cross tells me, I can't do this. I'm completely dependent on you. And so I receive from you, through your spirit, forgiveness. I receive peace. I receive joy. I receive empowerment. When you experience it, when you you experience the forgiveness of God for your sin, when you experience the the fact that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, that he's never going to leave you or forsake you, how does that feel? Seriously. Seriously. Incredible, right? It re- it's really true. And when you experience that joy, it empowers you to go out and it'd be an expression of that to the world and the people around you. But, but what's necessary, the thing that, that has to happen for all of this to happen is what, <laughs> what happened for me. No sneak peeks. I know you're dying to know. Um, What needs to happen is what happened to me this past week. Is you need to be put back in the wheelchair. Every day. I'm just as helpless as I was then. I'm just as dependent on God as I was then. And it's that Humility, I can't, combined with the confidence God can. He really can. He really is the God who created the universe. He promises that everything you need for life and godliness is given to you in Christ Jesus through the Spirit within you. I can't, God can. And then there is this surrender, right? I surrender to do that, to be your hands, to be your feet, to follow your direction to lead where you send me. And this is where joy and refreshment, this is real refreshment. This is really fulfilling, right? This is, this is where the, and, and this is what Jesus, what Jesus says. He says, you search the scriptures and you think you, you know, know everything, but the problem is they point to me and I, I, I wish that you would see that I'm here so that I can give you this life, right? He wasn't just trying to beat these people up. We have to see. He's not just trying to show the self-righteous how stupid they are. What he wants is for them to drop all of the pride so that they can experience this life, this abundant life. And this is what he wants for us as well, right? And so, anyway, I just want to invite the band to come on up and we're going to respond. I want to just go, man, where where is it right now that I think I see everything? I think I know all the answers. And that is actually what's keeping you from seeing God's provision and direction for you right now. Where is it that that in pride, you think you know it all in a way that is preventing you from receiving God's direction and his empowerment? And then on the other hand, where is it that you you think you're a full cup? You think you have the power, the ability, whatever it is, you're trusting in yourself that's preventing you from receiving the provision of the Spirit. Whatever that is, I just encourage us to surrender that. That's our surrender today. To receive from God so that you might go then release into the world. Father, we're thankful that you I thank you personally that you put me back in the wheelchair this week. I thank you that you reminded me like Psalm 90 that my days are short. And you reminded me of how completely dependent on you I am. And Lord, I thank you for that. That's humbling, but it's, That's what I needed. And we need this, Lord, where we're self-righteous or where we're self-sufficient. We know that that's a barrier, that's a blockade that keeps us from receiving what you want us to receive. So Lord, would we be those who surrender fully, who acknowledge humbly and honestly, we can't do it. But then who receive and trust confidently that you can. But would this church be a force? Would there be streams of living water flowing out of our bodies, out of us collectively, of the spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, and the self-control that comes from you, that shows the world the difference that you make so that they too may come and experience this living water, that they would see that they are thirsty and the things that they're trying to fill themselves with don't work that they might have their souls quenched in Jesus and him alone. Yes, ask this in his name. Amen. I'm going to be in the prayer room. Um, I believe Denise will be there as well. So if there's any prayer needs that you have or anything you want to talk about, I'd invite you to respond as we sing. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.